You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. The scripture verse this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God. Everybody hear me? Excellent. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Uh, You are glorious and mighty. And Father, you've given us a wonderful uh, gift each week that we could come and we could proclaim your name uh, together in song and then also through the preaching and the hearing of your word. So we just ask that you would be near, uh, send your spirit to, to be near to us and help us to hear this word and to absorb it into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, We'll be in Ephesians 5 today, so if you want to be flipping there, you sure can. Um, Each of these past many weeks, if you've been here, uh, we've been examining different aspects uh, or distinctives of what life at Redeemer here looks like. Um, We've gone over a wide berth of topics, uh, so we've been through hospitality, we've been through preaching, we're going to talk about music today. Uh, But here's the thing that I find very encouraging. Each week, no matter the topic, somebody gets up here, they open the book, and they teach us out of it. This is the distinctive. Um, We're called to be holy, church family. We're called to be holy as God is holy. Or stated differently, we're called to be distinct. And without the authority and the power of Scripture, there is no hope for us as believers today. But we've got a good God, and thanks be to him who provided this word to us uh, through all those inspired authors that we could have what is profitable for us, and we could apply it to each aspect of our Christian walk together. So it's a wonderful blessing. This morning, I'm excited because we're going to be looking at one of uh, the aspects of our gathered worship together, and that's music. Now, thankfully, uh, talking about this, everyone in the church, you know, always agrees about everything when it pertains to music. There's never anybody who really has a strong opinion either way. People are generally okay with whatever. Now, this joke is not new in the church, the fact that people might have some strong opinions about music. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He's talking, he's comparing his modern worship in some churches to what he sees described through some of David's songs in the Bible. He says this, What a degradation (laughs) to supplant the intelligent song of the whole congregation by the theatrical prettiness of a wait-for-it quartet, the refined niceties of, you guessed it, a choir, or the bellowing off of wind from inanimate pipes. 
that dreadful organ, we might as well pray by machinery as praise by it. So there are differences in musical tastes, certainly, and that's part of the wonder of music, but we won't get into that too much. It's just so vast, our experience in music as humans. It's like rain or family or good food. It is a common grace that God has given to us and seen fit for his whole creation to enjoy. Music is part of every single day of our lives. It marks every holiday. It ushers in and out every television program or commercial. It fuels workouts if you're into that kind of thing. Lawn mowing, house cleaning, weddings, parties, the list goes on and on. Music is a sweet gift for us from God. And even outside what we'll talk about today in the gathered worship setting, music is and should be a part of your daily life as a believer. Music can be a wonderful asset for you to meditate on particular truths that as they roll around and go again and again in your head and play again and, your, and again. It can very much help you memorize God's word. Uh, certainly if you have kids, you've probably seen this. Uh, they can pick up songs a whole lot quicker than they can pick up some scripture memory. Now we're trying to incorporate this. We're um, teaching Hayden different songs. Um, we're trying to teach her some scripture too. We, we purposely taught her a gospel verse first. Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That way every time she says it, preaches it to herself and others. We also very purposely taught her a second verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So Ephesians 6.1. Um, but we didn't use music. You sure can. It'd probably make the whole process easier. But this idea of music being involved in Christians' life, it's all throughout history. It's all throughout biblical history. And it's like they're dropped in throughout the Bible as these lyrical signposts for us to recognize. Um, the first big one might be in Exodus. Right after the crossing of the Red Sea, um, Moses sings out of God's triumph and of his salvation. Then we go to 1 Samuel. We see David singing. We see people singing about David, actually. He's just killed Goliath. He's coming back into the city. You may remember this story. And there's women that flood the streets and they're singing of David's 10,000 victories over the Philistines. They're also singing about Saul's 1,000 victories, which makes Saul a little unhappy, leads to the next song, which is David's delivery from Saul. And he's singing about, though the cords of death encompass me, I call upon the Lord. He took me out of deep waters into a broad place where he rescued me because he delighted in me. And then we have a wonderful song in uh, Luke, and it's Mary after Gabriel's visit. My soul magnifies the Lord, for he is mighty and has done great things. These situations, though, aren't always positive. Um, one uh, song in the Bible that you, this body, will remember very well is after the Lord's Supper. Jesus has just been betrayed. We do this every time that we take the Lord's Supper. Jesus has been betrayed. He's going to be killed, but his joy persists, and they after they take the Lord's Supper, they sing a hymn together, and that's something we model here at Redeemer. And finally, Paul and Silas, uh, another famous one. They've been thrown in, the pr in prison. They've been falsely accused, beaten with rods, stripped naked, shackles on their feet, and what does it say they do? It says that they're singing a hymn to God while everybody else listens. Amazing. Music is instrumental in the believer's 
experience. And yes, there will be a lot of music puns today, so just get ready for them. John MacArthur says this, believers experience an internal joy that manifests itself in music. It is God himself who puts that music in the souls and then on the lips of those who love him. It is because we have been declared righteous, have been purified from sin, and have become partakers of God's own holiness that we sing. Our music is special to us. We want to handle it carefully. So today we're talking about our corporate worship through music, and that really leads us into where our text goes today. Now, the text is going to get to a place that talks about music. We do have to wade through a couple things to get there. But ever since Ephesians chapter 4, Paul has been giving instructions to the church on how to live and how to walk as one body. In chapter 5, that message is refined slightly, and then he's talking more about walking together in love and towards fullness and away from emptiness. That's where we find ourselves coming to verse 17. He says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now he's referring back a couple verses to 15 and 16 and telling them, don't be unwise. Walk well. Walk in wisdom. Don't supplant the good gifts from God for just a sensory experience. And this goes back to the start of the chapter. You have a mouse, uh, um, not a mouse, a mouth for thanksgiving. Don't use it for crude joking. That's in, in chapter 5, verse 3. He says, I've given you sex for enjoyment. Don't defile it outside of marriage in verse 5. Don't lie and deceive, but rather speak the truth in love and shine your light among men in verse 6. And he gives them the alternative. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't forsake true joy for cheap expressions. That's this, that sets the stage for what we'll look at today. So let's look at verse 18 together. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery. Now this follows along that pattern. This is another um, example of exploitation. But what reason does scripture give for not getting drunk? It says, because it's debauchery. Now that's not a word we use often in today's language, but it's a very specific, a very nuanced word for this purpose. See, debauchery is defined as behaviors pursuing excess sensual pleasures, be it from drugs or sex or other things. Very similarly, some people spend their whole lives chasing after music, drowning themselves in music because of the experience that it can induce. This, the church is not free from this type of pursuit. The good gift of music, though, has so much more to offer than just a sensory experience, and that's what we're going to really get into today and spend the rest of our uh, time on. There's a wonderful alternative, though. Do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is the hinge. Be filled with the Spirit that this entire idea, this entire um, sermon will turn on. Now, there's a similar passage. You might know it. Uh, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This isn't the only time that Paul has said it. Um, he says it also in his letter to the Colossians. So I want to look at that really quick. 
So in our, in our Ephesian text, he says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. And he says something different, but very similar in Colossians 3.16. Let me read that to you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. So what does being filled with the Spirit look like? Well, it looks a whole lot like letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, these are the same command. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, drown yourself in the word. This, they're two sides of the same coin. Now, they're expressed in a, in a, in a really neat way, which we're going to see, and we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at four expressions of this spirit-filled life. But I want you to know that there's nothing mystical or magical about this. Rather, this is the miracle of God that he would save you and he would give you a desire for his word that you might pursue him daily in what you read and what he has said. So let's look at these four evidences for the rest of our time this morning, the four evidences of the spirit-filled life. First one is this, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now notice, this is intended for the church. We know that because of the context. Since chapter 4, uh, Paul has been giving instructions to the church, but he uses specific language here. He uses one another to reinforce this fact. This is a command for the gathered body of believers. He says, address one another, believers, in psalms. Now, all of us are pretty familiar with what the psalms are. There's 150 of them. They're roughly smack dab in the middle of our Bible. They're poems. They're written very lyrically, very musically. And they have found their way into many of our modern worship music songs. 10,000 Reasons, Psalm 103. All Glory Be to Christ, Psalm 127. The King of Love, My Shepherd Is, Psalm 23. Glorious and Mighty, Psalm 96 and 145. Not in Me, Psalm 51. They're sprinkled throughout. We're trying to incorporate this very command for our church into our worship. But that's not the only thing that the Psalms have to say about our worship. We have to take a slight detour here to really understand what does it mean to address one another in Psalms. Well, to do that, let's flip over to Psalm 96. Go to Psalm 96. Verses 1 and 2. Psalm 96, 1 and 2 says this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Now, part of this command is to sing. Sing to the Lord. But the other part is what to sing. Sing a new song. Sing a new song. This is not any old song. This is a new song. This is a redeemed song. This is a song that only God can put on your lips. It's a song for the people of God. Now, this new song should be handled very well, very carefully. So the Psalms give us more to go on. In Psalm 33, if you've ever been part of a, of a music worship team and a practice, you were at practice, maybe it wasn't going well, your, wor your worship leader might have said this to you. Psalm 33.3, 3, it says this. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully. <laughs> uh, 
on the strings with loud shouts. But we are. We're, we're in all sincerity. We're to handle it well. We're to handle it skillfully. Psalm 40, verse 3 says this. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now we're going to pause here because this is important. You've heard probably before you've been other in many churches that our music is the one thing that should be really accessible. That anyone should be able to sing it. That it's one of the main ways that we should attract people to our body. Um, attract unbelievers to our body. This is what we should use. We should use our music. What I'm going to tell you is that this is a very misleading and man-centered way of thinking about corporate worship. Because look at what the text says again. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. If we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and we sing a song of praise to God, that is our evangelistic tool. It's singing the new song. It's not singing an old song. It's not singing a song that sounds like what the world will sing. It sounds it's singing a song that sounds like one from God. That's what attracts people. That's what God will use to bring people into the family of Christ. The only true way to draw non-believers into our fellowship is to make known what God has said. So don't be seduced into thinking that our corporate worship should be ever be anything other than the redeemed song for the people and God of God to best encourage and enrich the lives of our, our brothers and sisters, as well as draw new people into our fellowship, we must focus on the substance and the subject and not the sound of our worship. Two more. Psalm 98, verse 1 says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. We sing with gratitude because of what the Lord has done. And finally, in Psalm 149, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise is in the assembly of the godly. We're to sing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to sing in the gathered assembly and the body of believers. So that's our slight detour into the Psalms to really understand what this song is that we are to sing. Paul says, address one another in Psalms. There we have it. It doesn't stop there. He says, also address one another in hymns. Now, hymns are just songs of praise to God. That's all the word really means. Now, we have hymns that are really uh, probably special to us. Amazing grace, holy, 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 great is thy faithfulness. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Now, these specific hymns probably weren't in Paul's mind as he's penning these, but these are songs of praise to God. This is part of what should be our canon of songs that we sing. And the final uh, segment of songs that he includes and how we're supposed to address one another is spiritual songs. And this is really saying an ode, a joyful uh, song intended for a person, almost in every case, for the Lord. I think Henry Van Dyke got it very right when he penned the words, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love, to Beethoven's ode to joy. This is the, it's pretty much the picture of what this is, this spiritual song. It's, a, it's an ode of joy to our God. Paul gives us these three ways to interact with each other. 
and they're all through song. You see, spirit-filled people are singers. Unfortunately, not all singers are spirit-filled. There is a purpose for our singing. That's going to bring us to our second evidence of the spirit-filled life. Sing and make melody to the Lord with your hearts. Sing and make melody to the Lord with your hearts. Our music should exalt our God. Again, the sound of our music plays a very distant fiddle to the subject of our music. As we sing our Godward song, our hearts should be engaged. These aren't just frivolous words that we put to pretty melodies and proclaim them all over. These are truths about our Savior that we should be overjoyed to sing back to him. We live in an age, though, where, and I, I think it's probably always been this way, um, maybe it's more so now, but words are pretty cheap. Talk is cheap. Words mean very little. And this is especially true in music. Uh, if you were around during the 90s, there was a number one song for a number of weeks that did not include a word in its chorus, mbop. That was the whole chorus. Taylor Swift has built her musical empire on repeating words in choruses with 44 exhortations to shake it off in her number one single. But this, unfortunately, isn't limited to pop music. This very thing has found its way into Christian mainstream music. One of the latest hits from a songwriter who I won't name has only eight words, and the runtime is five minutes and two seconds. These aren't worthless words that we sing to our God. This command to sing to the Lord with your hearts is echoed in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. So flip over there, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. God desires our hearts and our minds to be engaged in our worship. We should seek to sing songs that captivate our minds and our hearts that draw us deeper into the person and work of Christ. As we sing these songs and as our hearts and minds are on fire for God, it should lead us to do what Paul says next, our third evidence that we should give thanks to God the Father always and for everything. This is in Ephesians 5.20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not only about singing. It's about rejoicing and giving thanks in the Lord. See, this is the worship service. Give thanks always for everything to God in Christ's name. This is the worship service. Our worship is to the Father, it's by the Spirit, and it's for the Son. True Christian worship recognizes all members of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the bedrock, and our praise to them, our giving thanks to them, is the foundation of our corporate worship. The idea of giving thanks always and for everything is not 
some hallmark cliche. It's a biblical command. It is worship fuel. And this is possible because of the change that he has done in your heart. Remember what, what the Bible says. He has put this song on your lips. He's put this song in your heart. Music is an ally. It's a gift in worship. Too often, though, it's treated as a crutch or just an out-and-out substitute for worship. You see, you can use the right tool the wrong way. And you probably have never done this, but if you grew up where I grew up, which was in central Kansas, you grew up on a farm, our church was literally in the middle of just sections and sections of wheat fields. Like, you have to go there to get there. And so if you were a pastor that was coming to, you know, our church and was going to be there for a while, you were going to find yourself on a farm with farmers doing farm things because that's how you pretty much spend time together. So we had, uh, we had a pastor. Uh, he was an East Coast guy, never been on a farm before, didn't, like, didn't know what a tractor was. Like, just this was all completely new to him. And he came out. He's a wonderful man. He teaches Old Testament now uh, back on the East Coast. And he came out to help my dad one day on the farm. And I think I have a diagram of this. Um, I don't know how much sense is this is going to make to you, but I'll try to explain it. Holding this mic is not going to help me, I'll tell you. Um, so my dad says, hey, I'm going to back up to this trailer. I need you to go hook it on. I've got to go do something else. When I get back, we'll leave. Pastor says, got it. I can do that. So my dad leaves. Now, my dad, he, he'll probably listen to this, but he's a pretty smart guy. And after having two, three boys that didn't do things right all the time, he did learn to inspect after, you know, he's asked somebody to do something. So thankfully he did. But my dad leaves and the pastor goes to work at hooking up this trailer. And you can see that this is called a clevis hitch. And all that it's meant to do is put the one bar in between the two and put the pin through it. Then attach those chains for safety. That's what they're called. They're called safety chains. Now, you would think that's probably, hey, I, I can see how this is going to work. But instead of doing that, he just put the one bar on top of the two bars and then slid the pin in sideways. Now, that didn't even look right to the pastor, so he wrapped the chains around that a few times just for some extra insurance to make sure that it didn't move. Now, my dad <laughs> went back and said, Pastor, does this look right to you? <laughs> but there are wrong ways to use the right tools. You see, music should take the shape of our worship. It should not take the place of our worship. When we think about worship, it is defined by giving thanks always and for everything to God in Christ's name. This is worship. Music is simply a part of it. This brings us to the, the fourth and our final piece of spirit-filled life evidence. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is in Ephesians 5.21. Each of these evidences should be true of us, Redeemer. They should be true of the body of believers, of God's people, because we're told 
This is for the one another. This is for you. Remember that this chapter focuses on walking together in love. This is what's sad about music sometimes. We all laugh because we know how personally we can take it, how much it can mean to us that we want this song to be sung this way, in this key, at this tempo, and if it's not, like, I'm wrecked. I can't. I can't even worship. Believers, music should never be a point of contention. It should be a point of communion. Corporate worship together is a form of submission to God and to others as we are encouraged and convicted by what we sing and how we sing it. I'll go so far as to say corporate worship is particularly selfless. It's to the Father, it's by the Spirit, it's for the Son, it's in submission to all the brothers and sisters in the congregation. If you put a list of who corporate worship is for, it would be hard to find your name. Our musical worship has nothing to do with me and with you individually. It has everything to do with us as a body of Christ, our one another, and to be praising Christ continually in this place. But here's what's special. Even though that's the case, don't you love it? I mean, I just love it. I just love to sing or to lead or to sing in the choir or to do anything. And this is the Lord's goodness to us. That he would give us a command to be selfless, to worship with no focus on ourselves, and yet that we could enjoy it oh so much. That it could be so special to almost all of us within the, in the body of believers. We have a good and gracious God who wants to give us all things. And this should be a really tangible way that you feel that in your daily life as a Christian. What a joy it is to do what we're commanded, but to do it selflessly and then be refreshed and refueled by it. Our main command from today's text is be filled with the Spirit. As we examine Scripture further, we discover that that, that command is also overlapping. It's simultaneous with let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when we take those, when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're uh, just overwhelmed and um, deep in the Word, there are four evidences of the Spirit-filled life that should mark our daily walk and certainly our corporate worship as believers. They are these. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make melody to the Lord with your hearts. Give thanks to the Father always and for everything. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our joy together is so often expressed in the songs that we sing in the body. That's why this sermon is titled Joy-Filled Music, our, our worship to God. But there's one song in the Bible that I left out from earlier, and I want to share it with you now. 
It's from Zephaniah 3, verses 13, or 14, 15, and 17. It says this. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God sings over us. In his rejoicing over us, as he saves and protects and keeps us, he sings over us with gladness. Together and with joy in our hearts, we get to return the sweet song of praise back to him. As we go out today as spirit-filled Christians with the song of God on our mouths, remember this. We are a musical people because we have a musical God. Let's pray.